You're listening to the free edition of Sweden in Focus from The Local. If you would like to listen to a full-length version of the podcast, as well as an additional midweek episode, please check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade to Membership Plus. Here's this week's free edition. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Sweden in Focus, the local's weekly podcast covering the latest news and talking points from Sweden. We are recording this episode on Wednesday the 22nd of June, a day earlier than normal because we'll be off celebrating Midsummer Eve on Friday. Coming up on this week's show, we'll look at whether there's been any movement on Sweden's NATO application. We'll also look at the elements of paganism and the drinking songs that link many Swedish holidays. We will shine a light on the Centre Party and discuss why they've seen a big dip in support over the last year. And finally, we'll see if there is a road to recovery for them before the election. I'm Paul Amani and I'm joined today by James Savage in Stockholm, Becky Waterton in Malmö. Richard's away this week, so just Becky in Malmö and David Crouch in Gothenburg. How are you all? Good, yeah, good thanks. Good thanks. Looking forward to midsummer. Best day of the year. Yeah. And this is actually the last episode before we take a summer break, apart from a special episode that we plan to air at the end of the Almadalen political week, which is the week after next and where James and Richard will be in attendance. And without your, your expert guidance, so um, expect the Alma Dalman episode to be different. We're, ca- we're calling it Gonzo. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully we'll find some really interesting people to talk to as well, because um, that's the great thing about Alma Dalman. There's so many interesting people mm. to talk to, so we hopefully you know get some nice interviews there. Great. And after that, we'll take uh, we'll take a breather, but we'll be back with um, season four of the podcast on the 6th of August, which will give us plenty of time to gear up for the September general election, which takes place on the 11th of September. Now, I'm going to be on holiday next week, and I'll mostly be found swimming with my children in the lakes and sea around southern Stockholm. What about the rest of you? What would you recommend to any listeners staying in Sweden this summer? Wild swimming is the absolute you call it wild swimming in Sweden you just call it swimming it's just swimming it's isn't it? just swimming it's lakes and depending on where you are it's you know lakes or, or, or the sea there's so many great uh, swimming spots you can have a whole beach to yourself often or a beach might be a strong word for it but you know crop of rocks that you can where you can from which you can have a lovely swim in the in, in clear waters it's wonderful it's just wonderful it's cold but it's lovely I like to use uh, Google Maps to hunt for hidden unexplored beaches or outcrops of rock uh, you can look at the uh, the lakes and zoom in and sometimes find really nice uh, spots that very few people know about but I, I also think that the lakes offer more than just uh, uh, swimming um, if you have the the chance to get hold of a, of a of a second-hand boat and to get out onto the the water you know with all the caveats about life jackets and being safe and so on I can leave my my home uh, and in half an hour I feel completely surrounded by wilderness. I can't hear any cars. 
there's gorgeous uh, wildlife, the wild fowl. Uh, we have black-throated divers nesting on the lakes around around here, which are really spectacularly beautiful and exotic bird. And uh, it just, I can completely switch off. But also, you can have adventures uh, out, out on the hidden parts of the lakes, go and have a picnic on an island, and so on and so forth. Now, given that the biggest um, story from a Swedish perspective this spring and early summer has been the country's decision to join NATO, let's talk briefly about what's happening with the delayed process. Representatives from Sweden, Finland and Turkey met the NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg in Brussels on Monday to discuss a way forward after Turkey refused to greenlight the Nordic countries' applications. Did the delegates make any progress? Yes and no. So they didn't make any progress in terms of coming towards approving Sweden and Finland's agreements, but just the fact that they were all there discussing it was progress in in some kind of way, I'd say. Yeah, it's not like... They all kind of said, yeah, it's not going to be done by the big NATO summit in Madrid in, in the end of June, but even the fact that they're talking is progress over last week, I'd say. Or the last few months. Yeah, I mean, exactly, because you've got to remember what Turkey was saying before. They were saying no. I mean, they were they weren't saying, well, let's talk about it. They were saying no, and now they're saying let's talk about it. And that is that is that's movement. Their base position is still no. But if they're talking, then they clearly see there's room for progress. And and they're obviously being put under a lot of pressure from the Americans and from other NATO members. So it's it's movement, isn't it? So Sweden may be on its way to joining NATO, but in many ways it's still an exceptional place that stands out from the crowd, uh, according to an article that you've written this week, David, and listeners can find a link to the article in the episode description. Some of the things you mention are support for working families alongside other benefits of the welfare state, the international melting pot that Sweden has become in recent years, the fact that Stockholm is second only to Silicon Valley in terms of the number of so-called tech unicorns per capita it has produced. But given that it's a holiday weekend, I wanted to ask about how Midsummer is just one of several Swedish holidays with a kind of pagan twist or, you know, non-religious. What are the rituals that have survived? Midsummer actually, amazingly, has uh, religious roots. When you, when you look at what the traditions are around it, they, they seem to be so uh, non-religious that uh, it's quite a surprise to find that originally the celebration originates from um, marking the birth of John the Baptist on June the 24th. But obviously that time also coincides with the summer solstice, the longest day of the year. So the traditions around, around Midsummer have emerged from this religious holiday, but they, they have, it seems to me, absolutely nothing to do with religion. The Maestong is, is, is wreathed in, in leaves. It's all about life. And certainly this time of year, life is just bursting out in Sweden. And I don't know about you, but I find these short nights are just, they're like a drug almost. It's, it's amazing. You get to eight o'clock in the evening and there's still another four hours of daylight. I mean, I get such a, a rush from, uh, from that. And Clearly, Swedes do too, because they lose it at uh, at midsummer uh, with the dancing and the uh, the singing songs like "Small Grudana," the little frogs, which are, are sung accompanied by a crazy dance where everybody gets in a circle and jumps over each other or attempts to jump over each other, depending how much schnapps they've had to uh, to drink. 
And there are so many other traditions associated with Midsummer, such as I think you, girls are supposed to collect seven different types of flour in silence while thinking about the man they want to marry. And that, then that will, will come, come true, as long as you do it in, uh, in silent. It's, I think you have to lay them under your pillow as well when you go to bed. That's what I've heard. But maybe that's uh, what people do in Skåne. Yeah, that's a tradition across Sweden. So absolutely. Have any of you seen the film uh, Midsommar? I feel like we might no. need to, we might need to make a caveat and say that that's that's not what Midsummer's like in Sweden. <laughs> I'm watching it tonight for the first time. I wanted to watch it last night uh, ahead of this episode, but didn't quite get time. But I'm preparing to be terrified tonight. I, I was at a Midsummer last year um, with some of my friends, and I sent pictures of us dancing around the Maestong with my friend who was playing guitar and we were singing Smogrod, and we all had flower crowns. And my friends were like, "Oh my god, it's real, <laughs> Becky, don't die." <laughs> so yeah, just just. If you've seen that film, I can't handle horror films. It's definitely a horror film. That's not what Midsummer's like. Midsummer is is much nicer and yeah. Hopefully no one's going to be murdered at any of our Midsummers, Touchwood. But if you out outside uh, the town out in the countryside and watching all this madness, it, it does feel a little bit Wicker Man, um the horror film with Christopher Lee. It feels like a very different reality and that's part of the attraction and it's it's not unique, I think, as an occasion in that there are other festivities with religious roots in Sweden that, that are, are marked on a national scale, but in very non-religious ways, such as Valbori at the end of April and, uh, and Easter as well, which have lots of very, very, very non-religious uh, traditions associated with them. Well, it feels like the religious traditions to do with Midsummer are kind of sort of pasted onto a more, something that's much more kind of primeval and much more pagan and much more pre-Christian. That kind of oneness with nature, following the contours of the year and the, the lightness of the uh, of the night. It's, it's, it's about that really, isn't it? More that, And I think, you know, the, the fact that Christians have tried to Christianise every festival, you can even look at Easter and Christmas festivities, that there was a pre-Christian, there was a sort of pre-Christian festival that then the Christians then sort of uh, hijacked for their for, for their own purposes a bit and, and pasted these Christian traditions onto them. And it feels like, you know, with Midsummer, that that was very much the case. Everything's kind of tagged on because it, it made it harder for people to be pagans because they were celebrating and then they ended up celebrating the Christian holidays anyway. It wasn't separate holidays. Precisely. And, you know, this is true not just in, in the Nordic countries, but, you know, even the name uh, Easter comes from, uh, is named after um, a pagan um, a pagan goddess, Eosta. So, you know, they were literally saying, well, we're going to take this Christian festival and they didn't even bother changing the name. What about um, crayfish parties? Have you ever felt as a foreigner that you're about to be sacrificed at some point of the evening? Because I kind of have. <laughs> I don't feel I'm going to be sacrificed, but I feel like it is some sort of weird cult with everyone wearing crayfish hats and crayfish bibs and crayfish decorations everywhere. It's just amazing that they've got all these, you know, fantastic traditions that are so deeply rooted, connected to these festivals. And they're very much, you know, profane traditions that are so widely followed. And it's, I think it's one of the wonderful things about living in Sweden. If you've ever seen the, the Swedish film Enschelik's Historia, I think it's from 1970, uh, it's called A Swedish Love Story. And it's a lovely story about these two teenage lovers. But there's a scene towards the end of the 
film where they attend a crayfish party and their parents meet for the first time and about half the adults have sort of nervous breakdowns. It's just a, a kind of scary portrayal of what can happen when, when organised fun goes wrong. Oh, uh, I mean, I, I've, been to, I've been to midsummer parties where half the crowd was singles or, you know, um, people without kids and half the crowd was people with kids and there were two parallel parties going on and they weren't entirely suitable for exposure to each other. It was it got quite quite chaotic and quite drunk and yeah, lots of other things besides and it was um, a slight tension in the air, I thought. I'd just arrived in, in Sweden, literally it was uh, the, same, the same month that I'd arrived and uh, my colleagues at the university invited me to this Kreftkweva out on, a, on a, an island in the archipelago and there was a considerable amount of, uh, of alcohol, all very good humoured and then the drinking song started and I had heard little bits and pieces about the drinking songs in Sweden but clearly not enough and I assumed completely wrongly that they were rather like British drinking songs which which are very very rude uh, you know they're the sort of thing that the rugby club will sing on the way back home after a match and too much beer and that so I kind of assumed that was what was happening around me I didn't understand a word of it and then they turned to me and asked for a, a British drinking song so uh, you know 30 seconds on Google and I gave them one of these extremely ribald British songs and was greeted by really quite a, a shocked and stony-faced silence around the table uh, since when <laughs> I've learned that they, they were singing, you know, just a couple of wholesome, wholesome things about uh, make yourself happy and, uh, and have another drink. Beer frog. <laughs> Huge cultural faux pas on my part. And I, I apologise here in public to any of my colleagues who, who might be listening to this podcast and who were present at that crayfish party. I'm very sorry. I will say that filthy drinking songs do exist in Swedish. I was at a crayfish party in Östergötland one year and the things I heard that night shocked me. <laughs> <laughs> but it all sounds very pagan. Like. <laughs> but most Swedish drinking songs are mostly, they're mostly just about getting drunk, right? They're like, oh, I love alcohol, I love alcohol, let me let me have more alcohol, get me, let me get yeah, more Yeah, like drunk. Heilangor is literally, if you don't drink the full shot, then you don't get another shot drink the shot <laughs> it's lyrical genius and, and then there's then there's the other one about i wish i had uh, i wish i had a shot on a rope that i put could put, pull up and down my throat and you're going to sing that one in swedish now james tänk om jag hade lite nubben på ett snöre halsen tänk om jag hade lite nubben på ett snöre halsen jag skulle dra det upp och ner så att det kändes så många fler Tänk om jag hade lite nubben på det för snöre i halsen. Now, the centre party. Over the course of the last year, Annie Love's party has plummeted in the generally very reliable Statistics Sweden party survey from 9.5% last May to just 6.6% in May 2022. And the latest Doggins Nyheter Ipsos poll released yesterday put them on just 5%. Why is the centre party struggling so much to make an impression at the moment? Ah, it's... It's been a very, very, very tough few years for the centre party. I mean, like you're saying, I mean, they're, you, like they're down on 5% now. They're on the same level now as the Liberals. The Liberals have moved up, the centre party moved down, and they've met in the middle at 5%, which for a party that was polling near 10% before, it's pretty bad. They've suffered because I think they, they've had a very unclear position. And they've, they've struggled between these two sort of elements of the party. Um, on the one hand, they are 
traditionally or have for, for the last, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, they've been definitely very much a sort of economically liberal party right-wing economics, you know, um, looking lower taxes, more economic freedom and that kind of thing. At the same time, they've taken a very strong anti-Sweden Democrat stance. So, you know, they pro-immigration, um, Sweden Democrats are anti-immigration. They see Sweden Democrats as a bit of a threat to the, to the sort of free Swedish society, which means that they have two parties that they find it very difficult to cooperate with. So, you know, on social issues, on, on general sort of like value issues, the Sweden Democrats, and on the other side, on economic issues, the left party, which, you know, is very, very far from, their, from, the, from, from them on economic issues. So it's been hard for them to find a home. For the last few years, they've supported the Social Democrats in government, but it's been a very difficult position for them to articulate, particularly because the Social Democrats also need support from the left party. And they've been trying to sort of claim that despite supporting the Social Democrats in government voting, you know, letting them through on confidence votes and the budgets and everything, that they're somehow in the middle, what they want to call the broad middle of politics. The problem is the only party in the broad middle of politics is the centre party, so it's not that broad. At the moment, it's about 5% broad. So they're increasing, they've got a problem, they're increasing look like they're living in an alternative reality to the other parties. Everyone else has decided, well, we're going we're gonna to split up into two groups, one to the left and one to the right. And they're like, well, no, no, we refuse. And it's made them look obstructionist and, you know, even kind of puerile at times. But it's difficult for them because, you know, they have they have splits within the party. There are there are those who who are, who are very sort of invested in cooperation with the with the centre right, which the which the centre party, you know, did they were in government with the centre right for eight years. Uh, and, and, you know, many, many people in the party basically grew up with that kind of view of the party. Yeah, even Annie Loeff was a minister in their government. Absolutely. And we're talking Annie Loeff here, who is, you know, she is, she's very much on the on the right of politics economically. But they've taken a very strong position against working with, with the Sweden Democrats. So that kind of leaves them stuck with the Social Democrats, but finding it very hard to articulate why and what they hope to get out of that relationship. So the, the longer they have been in that relationship, the, 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 the more it has eaten away at their support and they've been unable to articulate really why people should vote for them. So now you have this, you know, this position, this kind of strange position of being one of the richest political parties in Europe. They have a lot of money because they they sold a newspaper group in the early 2000s, which netted them a huge amount of money. They've got loads of money in the bank, but they they give the lie to this idea that money can buy you votes because... Mm they've really failed to uh, to make an impression or they've in fact they've you know they've made a, a negative impression and they are they are sinking they feel a bit out of the loop to me it's like you say they're drawn to this idea kind of married to this this idea of oh we're going to have a big center government and we're going to be in the top of it and everyone's just going to happily come towards the center and be friends it's like that's not working for you and if, if they're gonna it feels like unless they adapt they might be at risk of even going under the four percent uh, limit maybe not this election but next next election if they don't do anything about it and maybe that's got something to do with the fact that annie love has been their party leader for so long she's been their party leader for over 10 years 2011 she started so maybe they would benefit from kind of shaking things up a bit and getting a new image or something I don't know I mean potentially I mean it's interesting because I think if you if you look at how other the countries with proportional systems and with lots of parties like Sweden would do this you know the the center party's position should work this idea that you have two very very distinct blocks one of which will always 
rule is kind of is not entirely compatible with this kind of multi-party system that you have in Sweden and, and, a, and a proportional electoral system. In a sense, what the centre party is saying makes sense, but the other parties aren't on board with it. And, and unless and unless these blocks start to fray and uh, parties peel off from them, then it's going to be very difficult for centre party to, to to find a place. I also think a little bit like c- could this be kind of emblematic of the polarisation we've seen just kind of across the world, across Europe in the past few years, like people moving further away from the centre and further towards the extremes. Like maybe the centre isn't isn't that interesting for people anymore because you're even moving further to the right if you're right wing or further to the left if you're left wing. It does feel it does feel like that certainly that that's what's happening. And what this you know what the centre party would would say is that we you know we want to represent the people who reject that kind of idea. I mean, you know, you like the people who would vote for Macron in France, perhaps, and say, well, they look longingly to Macron and say, well, you know, this is, we want to emulate what he's achieved there, but obviously in a very different system in a very different set of circumstances. But basically saying, you know, for those who reject the extremes, we're the place to go to. But it seems that most Swedish voters, like you say, they've decided that while, you know, even if we don't vote for the Sweden Democrats or don't vote for the left party, we are sort of willing to tolerate that the parties we do vote for work with them in, in, on some way, shape or form. I think it's very hard to see the centre party returning to the uh, to the alliance fold in the way that the Liberal Party has done uh, over the past year, while Annie Lerf is still, is still leading the party. And it seems in this quasi-block situation as though Lerf is now manoeuvring towards the, the Social Democrats. Um, she appeared on the... Um, American uh, warship, the Kearsarge, at the beginning of this month, together with Magdalena Andersson, the Prime Minister, and uh, both of them were very critical of the uh, the centre-right, so that the rhetoric against the centre-right has been stepped up, and at the same time, she's uh, her party has voted down the vote of no confidence against uh, Morgan Johansson and is now supporting the budget vote that is taking place at this very moment. And if you look at other countries in Scandinavia, in Norway, the Centre Party is actually in government together with the Social Democrats. In Denmark, the Social Liberals are enabling the, the Social uh, Democrats to stay in government. So there's a certain pragmatism there. And also, I think that the um, Social Democrats are helping uh, Annie Lerf by by moving to the right them, themselves, or moving further towards the centre and, and making it easier for um, an accommodation with the centre party. But certainly the policy of vagueness over where they stand just is not working for them electorally at the moment. Uh, Just at the the moment, you kind of expect Annie Lerf to to make a much more clearer statement about supporting a, a future social democratic government. How can you vote for a party if you don't know what they stand for? Well, yeah, uh, but like you say, it's very clear where they stand. It's very clear that at the moment that they are more aligned to the Social Democrats or they're more likely to, that they, they're going to, if they do a deal with anyone, it will be with the Social Democrats, either to, to support Social Democrats in government as they're doing now or to even go into government with them. And there's been talk that, that you know, Annie Love is quite keen actually to, in the end, go into government with them. But they, they have to find a way to articulate that. And that seems to be eluding them at the moment. We're talking about them as a centrist party, but you know, fiscally they're they're actually very right wing. Might they be well served by moving more to the left on economic policy? 
Well, they might, but they have to find a reason to exist, don't they? They have to, they have to articulate a reason to exist. And, and, and what they managed to do in the first part of this parliament, you know, when they were doing quite well in the polls, was to, their reason to exist was to basically pull the Social Democrats to the right on economic policy. Did quite well out of it. They were, you know, up on 9% when they were forcing right-wing economic policy on the Social Democratic government. And so, you know, they had a constituency of people who kind of agreed with them, said, we don't like the, you know, we don't like the, the Social Democrats. We're, you know, we're, we're against some national but we're in favour of liberal economic policies. It worked well now, but if, they, if, if they're not in a position to get that kind of political concession through, then they have to find another way to articulate what they are. They have to find something else. They have to find another reason to exist. Otherwise, why not just vote for the Social Democrats? Why are they not attracting more votes from traditionally right-wing voters who are horrified by the other parties cooperating with the Sweden Democrats? For the reason that I think that those voters are increasingly sceptical as to whether the centre party can really make a big difference to um, to government policy. And also because, partly I think as well, because the, the centre party has, has not really been talking policy at all in the last few years. It's been talking very much about, you know, this question, which side are we going to ally with? It's been talking about its, 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 its criticisms of the left party and the Sweden Democrats on a sort of a, an ideological but what is it that they want to achieve in government? What is it they what what are the policy, policies that they want to get through that are distinctive and that give people a reason to vote for them rather than for somebody else? It's be, they they found a very had a very hard time articulating that. They've sort of started cooperating with the with the, the left party a, a little bit now. They reached compromise on pensions and the the budget last week, the budget that's going to be voted on today. Are they softening on on that? Because previously they would they just would not speak to the left party at all. But even here they they they're, they're talking the. <laughs> They have this because they won't talk to the left party. The Social Democrats are doing relay talking, so mm. they're talking to they're talking to each party separately, yeah. and then and the, and then sort of pro, them them putting a proposal forward that they know will that they know both parties will accept. Mm. But what they're not doing is what's not happening is the left party, the centre party, and the Social Democrats are sitting around a table no. together and making policy together, which is you know part of why 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 people view the centre party increasingly is a non-constructive voice in politics and I think that's one of the things that's really damaged them. Exactly. So is it something they should start doing? I suspect that this is something that they are going to have to start doing. They might even already be doing it behind the scenes. They're still not really agreed inside her party on what they want to do so she can't really come out and say, look, I'm talking with the left party. They need to kind of resolve those issues within the party before they resolve, before they start coming out and doing this stuff in public, making a statement about it. Yeah, I think internal party management is, 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 is clearly one of her big, big issues here. You know, so many people who in the party who are opposed to or, or barely tolerate cooperation with 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 the social democrats um and you know uh, yeah the left party's a bridge too far and the left party's a bridge too far mm. on, on the other hand on, on sort of specific issues um there there might be room for accommodation like on schools uh, i noticed that lerf wrote a, an article on dargas nikita i think it was last week uh, about schools and her suggestions were very, very pragmatic, and she talked about um, uh, taking profits away from uh, privately run schools if they didn't deliver sufficiently high results for their for their pupils, which seemed to me to be a, a, an olive branch to to the left. For example, so when you when you look at, at their policy on free schools on uh, on you know privately run state schools, they're saying the same kind of things that quite a lot of other parties across the spectrum are saying. Not in favour of abolishing the schools, but in favour of somehow restricting them and, 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 and placing more demands on them. They're not exactly distinctive policies that set them apart and give give a positive reason for, for, for new groups of voters to, to go to them. It's a real dilemma. They've got to find an ideological 
political anchor that will that, that will be consistent with the alliances that they're trying to build. Yeah, so she is she is sort of stuck at the moment. Do you have any sort of predictions for what Annie Love will do to attract more voters in the next few months? I think she's going to end up having to pick a side and then hope that that will that'll help. Although whichever whichever government she ends up working with, like if she if she works with the social democrats they're probably going to work with the left to some extent probably not in government but they'd at least the left would support them kind of in the way they're doing now and if they work with the alliance and they'll be supported by the Sweden democrats so she kind of it, she's kind of going to be working with one of them anyway i can't imagine a situation where the the social democrats and the moderates and the center are all in government together like that that that's not going to happen no but that's her dream Basically, I mean that's yeah. where that's where Annie Love wants to take would, would would have liked to take politics to have a broad coalition across the middle that involves the social democrats and the moderates. The social democrats and the moderates are absolutely one hundred percent opposed to anything that looks like a grand coalition. And uh, we almost got there with the December agreement, which was agreed in the in in in, in twenty fourteen, sort of a grand coalition light, and the moderates' experience of that particularly was it was extremely negative and they and and they ended up um you know that, that that's now something that, that that's politically absolutely impossible for them to agree to um and it's left the it's left the center party a bit high and dry and what kind of party is the center party if we look at it sort of historically how long has the party been around they were formed just before the first world war 1913 and they were originally formed as the kind of the farmers union or the Agricultural Union, but they renamed in about the 1950s to the Centre Party because they started getting support not just from kind of the rural areas of Sweden, but also from people in cities. I think they're, they're definitely different because they have this mix of right-wing policies and left-wing policies, so they don't really fit in anywhere else. Yeah, well, I suppose depending on what you consider to be a left-wing policy on, you know, social issues, I mean, they would say that on the, on social issues, they are, they're just liberal. Socially liberal. They're yeah. Socially, yeah, liberal. socially liberal. Not so much left-wing. Yeah. But I, like they, they speak a lot about being kind of humane and humane policy on migration. There's a surprising amount of policies where they're kind of they fall down on the Green Party, Social Democrat side of the fence rather than the moderate side of the but, fence. But I think you know I think when you look at their at their views on migration, for example, now those would these days be characterised as sort of on the left of politics just because of the way the politics has moved. So the centre party would say, well, we've had these views all along. Ten years ago, these weren't on the left of Swedish politics, at least. They were shared by, by parties on both the right and the left. And, you know, when you look at their, at their views on, on, on migration, they, um, traditionally, you know, on asylum migration, what they've been in favour of is, 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 is having a very open policy on letting people in, but a much more restrictive policy on, on money. So, so, so basically saying, well, um, you know, people can come here, but we're going to be quite restrictive about the kind of, uh, kind of financial support that we give to people. So, it, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not left wing as such. I think be, you, there would actually be, there, there are some points of, of considerable difference between them and the left party on some of the details of, uh, of that. And, you know, they've been very much in favour, for instance, of allowing, you know, and this, this, this ties in with their business friendly um, approach, which is to say allowing people to come to work, you know, so they've been very much in favour of work permits, um, of a liberal view on work permits, um, letting people come and work in Sweden, you know, if they can get a job and if there's someone who wants to employ them. Yeah, and I think we can kind of see that in the work permit reform that's just come through. They're one of the only parties that didn't think that there should be arbetsmarknadsprövning, so that's this kind of test to see if it's a it's a a job where there's a shortage of workers. And they also were against there being a cap uh, introduced to the, the minimum salary you have to you have to earn. So they're one of the one of the only parties that kind of said, no, we like the system how it is. We don't want to change it. They tried to position themselves a few years ago as the Green Party of the right. Yeah. So I had this sort of environmental profile. 
They, they have, and they have had an environmental profile. Their environmental profile has been slightly different, though, to the Green Party in the sense that they, you know, the Centre Party still has these strong roots in the countryside. A lot of it's about also, you know, protecting the rights of landowners, of people who own forestry, for example, and uh, so and those and th- those affect their views on things like you know protecting lakeside areas. So you know, the Centre Party are more in favour of, of allowing people to build on the edge of lakes and the seashore, protecting the rights of people who who own. Um, property in rural areas, but also protecting the you know development of rural areas and promoting the development of rural areas. So that's a very big priority for them, and that sets them apart from from the Greens, who are more or less in favour of a more restrictive view on that kind of thing. It also feels a little bit like the Christian Democrats are trying to to pinch some of the the centre party's voters at the moment. I think all of this stuff about Ebba Bush kind of talking about Sweden's heartland and posing with guns, shooting elks or whatever. That kind of feels like she's <laughs> trying to sneak sneak her way into their their voter group and kind of sneak sneak some of those rural votes for the Christian Democrats instead. Absolutely. Absolutely. I was just thinking how how fascinating it is. You don't, you don't have to be a, 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 a politics nerd to become um, fascinated by how the, the bigger themes of European politics are, are playing out in Sweden and how personalities uh, and characters like Annie Lerf, who's a leader of, you know, to all intents and purposes, a, a small party, um, is still worth looking at in, in some detail because of just how much she, she means in this situation of, of quasi-block politics where small shifts can make um, can make a huge difference. And and people will be looking at the, the elections in Sweden in uh, September. It's the largest country uh, uh, in uh, in Scandinavia and uh, the outcome will really make a, a, a an impact and it in some respects will be a, a referendum on the uh, asylum policies of the last um, the last 10 years I think that's that's why it's it's worth devoting so much attention to uh, to a small political party like the Centre Party. Yeah, very much so. And I think, you know, it, it, it might feel strange to listeners who come from, you know, if you come from America, for example, where you're used to two, two large parties that have, you know, about half the votes each every every every, every election, you know, and then to, to come to Sweden and we're, we're taking our magnifying glass to look at these, these tiny parties. But they really, really matter. And they, you know, they... The, the centre party is so interesting. It's like a, it, it, it feels like a bit of a bellwether of Swedish politics. You know, they are that they're that party that sort of shifts sides depending on the overall sort of um, political climate. It all goes back to this kind of consensus that they're, they're they're able to negotiate with everybody and they're able to kind of be in whatever government that, that they see that as one of their strengths. Well, they would say as one of their strengths. I think if you yeah. sp- if you yeah, speak that's to why it, I changed yeah. it to they would say it rather than Swedes would say it. <laughs> I think if Swedes thought it was one of their strengths, they'd be polling it a little bit more than right. 10%. Exactly. And you know, I think I think I think one of the things that's really interesting when you speak to. Um, people on the right of Swedish politics, you know, political activists, politicians, and particularly, you know, actually voters on, on you know, moderate voters um, and Christian Democrat voters, they kind of spit blood when the centre party is named these days. They're seen as turncoats and seen as, you know, inconsistent and and, and immature. And, you know, you hear, this, you hear this a lot about Annie Love when you speak to people on that side of politics. I think it's really interesting that she's considered a turncoat by the rest of the right when they're the ones who have done a 180 degree Reversal. Yeah, she's. This is also the kind of impression I get from the centre is that they wouldn't be that much of an outlier ten years ago, but they're just the only ones that haven't changed their policies to fit mm. in more with the Sweden Democrats. Yeah, but the right wing parties, the you know the the, the moderates and the Christian Democrats, say, look, 
we've had to adjust to the fact that the Sweden Democrats exist and that they are big, and we can't just ignore them and wish them away. If people have voted for the Sweden Democrats in such large numbers, we have to accommodate that. And this, and and they, you know, they they would they would see the the centre parties being unrealistic, utopian, and unwilling to accept the new political landscape in Sweden. Mm, even though they also said they would never cooperate with. The even Sweden though Democrats. they also said they would never cooperate with the Sweden Democrats, but you know, the maths they would say, you know, caught up with them, and they're just accepting. They're just accepting the, the maths and the and the votes of the Swedish of, of the Swedish public that have that have um, put them in this position and forced them to work with the Sweden Democrats. That takes us to the end of this week's Sweden in Focus. Thank you for listening. And thank you to this week's guests, Becky Waterton, James Savage and David Crouch. You'll be hearing from James and Richard again in July and the rest of us will be back on the 6th of August. Until then, take care. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. That's all for this week's free edition of Sweden in Focus. If you'd like to hear a full-length version of the podcast each week, as well as an additional midweek episode with more interviews and analysis, please upgrade to Membership Plus. Make sure to check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade. Sweden in Focus is a podcast by The Local Europe. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. The publisher is James Savage.